Take your Bibles this morning and open them to the little book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, if you're wanting to follow along in your pew Bible, you can find this on page 240. Ruth chapter 1, this morning we are going to be looking at the first seven verses of this chapter. This is God's word. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread." Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that your word is inspired, inerrant, infallible, living and quick, sharper than any two-edged sword and able to divide between soul and spirit and bone and marrow. As we look into the text this morning, we ask your Holy Spirit's help that he would open its words to us, writing its truths upon our hearts, that we might understand and believe and live the things that are written in it. And as we spend the next few minutes looking at these verses, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. One of the things that I love about being reformed is our strong confidence in the biblical teaching of God's sovereignty. The Bible teaches and we believe that God has absolute authority in the universe. All things are just as he desires. Closely bound up with God's sovereignty is the idea of his providence. Providence has been defined as God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing every creature and every action. The Belgic Confession says we believe that the same God after he had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that he rules and governs them according to his holy will, so that nothing 
happens in this world without his appointment. Did you hear what I just said? Nothing happens in the world without his appointment. What that means, brothers and sisters, is that God actively controls everything for the accomplishment of his purposes. Now that truth, and I believe it is true, is all well and good for us when things are going well in our lives. When things are going like we expect, when the bills are paid, when relationships are good, it's easy for us to believe in God's providence. In fact, it is in those times that we most often hear people talking about that was providential. But when tragedy or difficulty strikes, those are the moments when our faith is sorely tested. It's in those moments that we ask the most human of questions, why? Why, if God loves me, did he allow this to happen? Why am I struggling financially? Why am I struggling spiritually? Why am I struggling emotionally? Why did my loved one have to die? Why is the one that I care about ill? Maybe this church is asking this morning, why has our church been through so much over the last few years? Why? Now, I wish in seminary there had been a course entitled Why? That would have given me uh, some pithy, easy answers to relate to you to uh, answer that question. But the truth is, why is a question that God often leaves unanswered. He calls us, rather, to accept on faith his goodness and his providence. So today, as we begin our study of Ruth, and we are beginning a study of this book this morning, we begin by meeting Naomi. By the way, the, the book of Ruth is, is improperly named, in my opinion, because the book of Ruth is about Naomi. It's about her journey from fullness to famine and back to fullness again. And she's the first person that we meet in this chapter, a woman who has experienced some of the more difficult providences of God. And as we look at these opening verses this morning, I want us to consider some spiritual principles that I believe are found in it and hopefully be encouraged by them. So let's dive into the text this morning. The first principle from this passage, I believe, is found in just the first couple of verses, and it is this. God's providence sometimes leads us through times of testing. God's providence sometimes leads us through times of testing. In this case, uh, God's providence was leading Naomi 
and her family through times of spiritual darkness. It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Now if you keep your finger here and turn back just a page to the end of the book of Judges, it says in verse 25, chapter 21, verse 25 of of Judges, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the last verse of the book of Judges, but that phrase, there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, is repeated four times throughout the book of Judges. And what that tells us is that during this period that the book of Ruth is occurring, Israel was experiencing a time of lawlessness, a time of spiritual decline, and a time of judgment. And so it's in this this context of of, of lawlessness and spiritual decline and judgment that we read in verse 1 that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. And it says at the end of verse 2 that he remained there. Now the repetition is important. The author of the book of Ruth is trying to, to get us to think about some things. When it says that he went to dwell in the land of Moab, the word there is a word that's translated in other places, sojourn. When you go on a sojourn, you're on a temporary visit. You're on a temporary stay. It's like being an an alien resident and having your green card. You're there, but you're not there permanently. That's the idea behind going to dwell there, going to, to sojourn there. But rather then remaining there temporarily, we see at the end of of verse 2 that they remained there. What was to be a temporary stay became a more or less permanent one. I think there's some irony here in this passage that Elimelech and his family, who are of the people of God, have abandoned the people of God to go and live with the Moabites, who were the sworn enemies of the people of God. Sort of reminiscent of the story of Lot that's found in Genesis chapter 13. We're not going to turn there this morning because there's just too much to to look at. But if you remember the story of Lot in, in chapter 12 of Genesis, there's strife between the herdsmen of Abraham and between the herdsmen of Lot because there's too much cattle and too much sheep. So Abraham says, lift up your eyes and behold the land, take what you want. If you go to the right hand, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left hand, I'll go to the right. And the Bible tells us that Lot looked up and he saw the desert all around him. And then he looked over here and he saw the Jordan River Valley that was well watered and like the Garden of Eden. And he said, that's what I want. So he took the best of the land for himself. And the scriptures say that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And by the time you come to chapter 13 of Genesis, we see that righteous Lot is living in the city of Sodom. There's this this downward decline that's going on. And it's the same thing that's been experienced here by Naomi's family. Let's meet them. Elimelech is mentioned in verse 2. His name rather ironically means, My God is King. My God is king. 
Although clearly, based on Elimelech's actions, God was not his king. He was going his own way and doing his own thing. We also meet in verse 2, Naomi. Her name means pleasant or lovely, even though uh, you've probably read this book before, so you know what's coming. Uh, Naomi is about to lose everything that she has. God's providence sometimes leads us through times of spiritual darkness. But brothers and sisters, God's providence sometimes leads us as well through times of physical want. Verse 1 tells us that at this time there was a famine in the land. Famines in the Old Testament were judgments by God for the unfaithfulness of his people Israel. If you keep your finger here and turn back to the book of Deuteronomy, let's look and see what God has to say about famines. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28 verse 15, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you verse 23 and your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze and the earth which is under you shall be iron the Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust from the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed Verse 38, you shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locusts shall consume them. Then you shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. Famine was one of the specified judgments of God that he would bring upon the nation of Israel if they forsook him. And so the fact that that there is a famine being described here tells us that they were under the judgment of God. But it's not just a, a theoretical sort of judgment. This is hitting them literally where they live. I mean, every time their stomach growls, they are reminded of this idea that they are under God's judgment. The fact that this is a a covenantal sort of judgment is reinforced by the word land in verse 1. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. The word land in the Old Testament has covenantal overtones. This was, after all, the land of promise. The land flowing with milk and honey. become a place of want. We're told in verse 1 and in verse 2 that they lived in Bethlehem, Judah. Again, the fact that the name of the town is repeated is significant. Bethlehem in Hebrew literally means the house of bread. And there's more irony there, isn't there? The house of bread has become a place of famine. A place of want. A place of starvation. 
Then we meet the two boys in verse 2. Malon and Kilion. Malon's name means weak. And Kilion's name means wasting away. There's a lot of foreshadowing going on here in the story at this point. The reader who's paying attention gets the idea, "Uh uh-oh, things are about to get worse here. Verse 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Verse 5. Then Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. She's going through compounding tragedies now. She's widowed, she's destitute. Uh, Ladies, in in that day and age, women didn't work outside of the home. They were completely dependent upon their husbands. So the fact that she had no husband to care for her, the fact that she had no sons to provide for her, meant that she was utterly destitute. And what's worse now was that she had two daughters-in-law for whom she was obligated to care. She's utterly alone. It's always surprising what drives people away from God. Sometimes what little irritants that they are. Brothers and sisters, if you've never experienced this before, I guarantee you that you will, but there will be times in your lives when you will experience the darker providences of God. How will you respond? Will you be like Elimelech and his family who forsook the people of God and the land of God for the enemies of God? Or will you stay true to him? God's providence sometimes leads us through times of testing. Secondly, from this passage, we see that God's providence sometimes leads us not just through times of testing, but through times of tragedy. And that's already been hinted at in verses 3 and 5. In Naomi's case, it's the tragedies of loss and the tragedy of disappointment. Verse 3 tells us that her husband, Elimelech, died. We're not told how. Whether he was ill and succumbed to an illness, whether there was some sort of accident, whether he was the victim of a crime or violence or, or just grew old and passed away. We're not told exactly what happened to him, but in their commentaries on the Old Testament, the rabbis say that it was a judgment of God because he forsook the land. Now, we don't know that but it would certainly be in keeping with the the themes that we've seen in chapter 1 so far. 
Then we're told in verse 4 that Naomi's sons, Malon and Kilion, went out and took wives. Verse 4 of the women of Moab. This was a major no-no to a Jew. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 3 says that you will not permit a Moabite to enter the congregation of the Lord down to the 10th generation. That's just a way of saying never. The Moabites were a cursed people. The reason they were cursed, if you remember your your Old Testament history, is from the book of Numbers. King Balak, who was a Canaanite king, had invited a prophet named Balaam to curse the nation of Israel because he was afraid of them. He was afraid that they were going to conquer his territory and throw him out of their cities. Balaam did finally come, and every time he opened his mouth to try to curse the people of Israel, God put a word of blessing in his mouth so that over and over again, Balaam blessed the people of God. Balak was so frustrated that he finally told Balaam, don't say anything at all. And Balaam, who was really interested in the money that Balak had to pay him, thought, well, if I can't curse the people of God, maybe I can get God to do it for me. And so near a town named Peor, what Balaam did was he incited the people of Israel, first of all, to marry the women of Moab, and second of all, to worship the gods of Moab. A terrible judgment broke out in the camp of Israel because the result of this, and God cursed the people of Moab and said, a Moabite will not enter the congregation of Israel down to the tenth generation. So put yourself in Naomi's footsteps here, or foot uh, shoes here. Her sons, all that she has left in the world now, go and marry Moabite women? The tragedy of losing her husband is compounded when her sons all but forsake the Lord. That's what they're doing here. The women are named for us in verse 4. Their names are Orpah. By the way, Oprah Winfrey got her name from this woman. Her, her mother just misspelled it. Instead of Oprah, it came out Orpah. Or instead of Orpah, it came out Oprah. But that was free. Orpah and Ruth. Orpah's name means stubborn. And Ruth's name means friend. There's more foreshadowing going on here. Orpah will soon abandon Naomi as well. Verse 5 again, Then both Malon and Kilion also died, so the woman, the woman survived her two sons and her husband. This compounded tragedy. Now she's lost her sons and all of her means of livelihood. She is widowed, she is destitute, and she is alone. The next chapter is going to tell us how she deals with this unfolding tragedy in her life, but how do you deal with tragedy in your life when it comes? I'm so thankful for the third principle from this passage because not only does God's providence sometimes lead us through times of darkness, and not only does God's providence also at times lead us through times of tragedy, 
But God's providence is always tempered by his covenantal faithfulness. And I say that because I don't want us to think that God is this ogre who sits in heaven on the throne with a cudgel in his hand just waiting to clobber us. Verse 6 teaches us that God faithfully remembers his people. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. The Lord did this. Do you see that word there in verse 6? You notice how it's in all capitals? That means that it is the name of the Lord that God gave Moses at the burning bush. It is Jehovah. It is Yahweh, if you will. This is the God who makes covenant with his people. The God who faithfully does all that he has promised that he will do. And this covenant-keeping God, this faithful God, we are told in verse 6 that she had heard that the Lord had visited his people. The word visit is a covenantal word that often means to providentially bless based on a covenantal relationship. Let me show you some places in the Old Testament how it's used. We'll, if you want to turn back to Genesis chapter 21, there are several verses we're going to look at, but they're all in order, so you only have to turn one direction. Genesis chapter 21. Verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. There the visitation is one of promise keeping. Genesis chapter 50. Verse 24, Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Just one more, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. There, the visitation is God noticing what is happening to his people. If you want to look at some other references this afternoon, you can look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 21, Psalm chapter 65, verse 9, and Psalm 106, verse 4. Back in Ruth, though, the visitation of the Lord is defined for us. It is said in verse 6 that she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. 
God is renewing His, His favor to His people in this verse by giving bread to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And brothers and sisters, I think this verse is so important for us in our lives to remember that even though God's providence may take us through times of testing, that yet God still faithfully and lovingly remembers His people. But He also calls His people to faithfulness. Faithfulness involves repentance. Verse 6 She rose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the, word, from the country of Moab. The word return is often used in the Old Testament to describe turning from sins and turning to God. Yes, there is a sense in which she is physically returning to the Lord, to the land of Israel, to the town of Bethlehem. But there's a spiritual idea here, too, that not just is she returning physically, but she's returning spiritually to the Lord as well. God calls us to turn at times. Faithfulness is not just something that we can check off and say, yes, I've been faithful, that's done. It's a process. Just as Naomi's returning was a process, verse 7 says that she went out from the place where she was. And at the end of the verse it says, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Our faithfulness is a process, brothers and sisters. It's something that we do daily. Not just an event. You know, Romans 8.28 is a verse that is often used poorly, I think, by Christians. Because it's a matter of timing, you see. We know that all things, all things, work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. It's a true verse. Sometimes we're not equipped or prepared to hear it at the time that it's offered. But we are called by faith, by God, to believe that promise by faith. Believing in God's providence, brothers and sisters. Believing that He will never forsake us. Believing that God is good And that His mercy endures forever. That is what we are called to do. May God help us to do it.